Let's turn our Bible this morning to the book of John. We'll be in John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. While you're turning there, uh, let me remind you to continue praying for Mrs. Diocese. If you recall Wednesday night when we started our Bible study, and I've sent out a couple of emails about this. Uh, she was in surgery uh, for a brain aneurysm. And as I updated you later that evening, the surgery was successful, but she still has, she's still in the hospital, will be there a few more days, and is still uh, trying to recover. And of course, these are our missionaries in the Philippines, so I want you to continue to pray for uh, them. John chapter number uh, 19 this morning, and for several weeks now, uh, we have been in this series on Sunday morning uh, of, I've entitled Standing Near the Cross uh, as I think back on Mother's Day, uh, in the month of May, I preached the message from this passage. And as I continued to study, the Lord just put this on my heart and on my mind. And so we're going to look at another character today uh, that was at the cross of Christ. So if you look with me, John chapter number 19, uh, we're going to read from this passage as our text. Uh, later in the, in the message, we're going to turn to another passage of Scripture, and I'll refer to one other one. Uh, but we'll start this morning at John, in John chapter number 19. Let's begin reading with verse number 25. <clears throat> now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon the hyssop, and put it under his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers, which, which a spear, with a spear, pierced his side, and forthwith came out thereout blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, for that he might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, and he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, which about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it, the, wound it in linen clothes which with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never a man yet laid. 
Then laid they, Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at him. We have looked at several characters thus far. We have looked at uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've looked at uh, the Apostle John, Mary Magdalene. Uh, we have also looked last week at Joseph of Arimathea. But this morning we find another character uh, in this passage of Scripture. We find uh, the man Nicodemus. And Nicodemus joins Joseph of Arimathea. And so this morning I want to preach on Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. There's, there's several things this morning that I want to point out about the life of Nicodemus and about the fact that he was there at the cross of Christ after the crucifixion that I trust will be a help to us. Father, I pray this morning that uh, you would use the Word of God. I pray the Spirit of God would be our instructor. The Spirit of God uh, would teach us this morning. And Father, I pray once again this morning that if there's one unsaved, may they realize that the crucifixion is more than a story. The resurrection is more than a story. But it is the finished work of Christ. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to heaven is the applied blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may anyone who's lost this morning, may they look to Calvary. May they look to the Lord Jesus for their salvation. Father, may we be reminded as Christians that uh, there was a price that was paid so that we might have forgiveness of sins. There was a price that was paid so that we might have our salvation through Christ today. And Father, may we uh, be more appreciative of that today because of what we hear. Father, bless your service for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of course, we find in our passage we are uh, once again looking at the crucifixion of Christ. And we find this character, Nicodemus, who uh, comes and joins Joseph of Arimathea. If you recall, last, last time we were in this series, we spoke of Joseph of Arimathea, that member of the Sanhedrin who came and took the body of Christ. But we find that Nicodemus also joins him. And Nicodemus in this passage of Scripture is, 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 is likened to, we're reminded of, he's the one that came to Jesus by night. Now, before we look into the life of Nicodemus, I think it is easy for us, and I think we do it uh, naturally, to draw a conclusion and cast a little bit of judgment on Nicodemus and what he should or should not have, have done. The Scripture is not clear to whether or not Nicodemus trusted the Lord, and, and we can draw some conclusions after today's uh, message. But as we saw last week, as we looked at Joseph of Arimathea, perhaps uh, we looked at Joseph a little bit differently than we should, of the fact that he did protest the crucifixion. And we find Nicodemus a very interesting character this, this morning. I want to, if I could, draw a picture for you and I as we peer through Scripture this morning, and may we be able to see this in our mind. I want to remind you again of that man, Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, and that religious leadership, but also political leadership, that after hearing the mockery of evidence and the hired witnesses that came in and to testify against our Lord, they cast their vote to condemn him. And Scripture tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, <coughs> would not go along with that. He was the dissenting vote against the crucifixion of Christ. So bear in mind this picture of this man, <coughs> Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin. Now comes Nicholas, uh, Nicodemus. His friends called him Nicholas. It comes Nicodemus, <coughs> the, 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 Fer, the Pharisee. And bear in mind who these Pharisees were. 
Christ often condemned the Pharisees because they rejected him, because they placed themselves above the people, because they knew the law better than the people. We have this Pharisee, along with this member of the Sanhedrin, two of the most unlikely individuals that you would think would be given the task of taking and preserving the body of Christ. I'll not re-preach the message from last week, but we understand the significance of Christ's body being preserved and how that disciple at that time, the Lord did not need someone to preach Pentecost, but he needed a disciple to care for the body of Christ. He did not need a disciple to take his mother home. John did that, but he needed a disciple to get and preserve the body of Christ. Now here comes this one Nicodemus who had had an encounter with Christ before. That scripture tells us that this body was ta- his body was taken It was preserved. It was laid in a sepulcher that no man had ever laid before. I want to make a few observations this morning that I think will give us some insight into the life of Nicodemus. I remind you the crucifixion uh, was a place of public execution. It was was the place where Christ laid down his life for mankind. I remind you once again, man did not take the life of our Lord. He willingly gave his life so that you and I might have redemption. He shed his blood so that you and I might have salvation, forgiveness for our sins. It was a place of shame. It was a place of horror. It was a place where you probably didn't want to linger too much. And certainly those who knew someone being crucified bore part of that shame. So the fact that we find Nicodemus near the cross of Christ is very significant, just as it was significant to find these other individuals there. But I want to point out some things about uh, Nicodemus this morning. If you'll hold your spot in John chapter number 19 and turn with me to John chapter number 3 this morning. John chapter number 3, hold your spot in John 19, we'll refer back to it. But of course, John chapter number 3 is when Scripture first introduces us to this man, Nicodemus. And our first observation I want to make this morning, there is the private conversation uh, which leads to a public identification. A private conversation which leads to a public identification. It's important for us to be reminded that Nicodemus didn't just happen by the crucifixion. He was there on purpose. He didn't just happen to be there that day. He was there on purpose. I want to remind you as well that when Joseph of Arimathea went and, as the scripture says, craved the body of Christ, and he went into the presence of Pilate, and he said, give me the body of Christ, Joseph of Arimathea was now publicly identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. The same would be true with Nicodemus the Pharisee. The councils that the Sanhedrin held would never be the same. The Pharisees would never be the same. It would never be the same for Joseph of Arimathea because he had publicly identified with the Lord. It would never be the same at this point with Nicodemus because now Nicodemus is going to be publicly identified because he is there with the body of Christ. Now John chapter number 3, which is one of the most famous chapters in all of Scripture, if not the most famous, we read in verse number 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, 
We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knoweth not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we, that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, and he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Nicodemus approaches the Lord. He, he gives testimony to the fact that he believes <clears throat> that he has come from God. He is the Son of God. He's doing things that only can be attributed to the power of God. Then the Lord begins to, to instruct him in the fact that man is going to have to die, a, has a natural birth, but he must also have a spiritual birth. Everyone here this morning has had a physical birth, has a natural birth. Uh, but the, the question that remains, and it's the most important question, is if you've had that spiritual birth. In Christ is teaching Nicodemus that you must be born again. Obviously, he did not understand this. And so he begins to further instruct him. And, of course, we get down to verse number 14. And as, the, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, hold on just a second. What takes place at the crucifixion? The Son of Man is lifted up. Uh, that Nicodemus, we find at the cross, we have a preceding conversation, a secret conversation. And the Lord is laying some groundwork, not just for all of eternity, but in the life of that man, Nicodemus. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, takes place in this conversation where Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he had seen the work of Jesus. He had heard the teachings of Jesus. And Scripture tells us he comes to the Lord by night. Now, we can, we can, we can suggest and we can assume that he came by night because he was afraid to be seen with Christ. And yes, that is a possibility. But it could also be because Nicodemus was busy during the day. It could, could have been because he was uh, performing his duties as a, as, as a member of the Pharisees. It could also mean that Christ was busy during the day. Uh, Jesus did not sit under an olive tree and just pass the time. Jesus was busy. Jesus was, was doing his work. And so it, it could have just been a matter of convenience. But regardless, we know he came to him by night. And there, there was a private conversation where the Lord reveals a lot of things to Nicodemus. How much he grasped at that time, 
we do not know. But it's important for us to be reminded and understand that as we're introduced to him, that private conversation led to that public identification. And that seed had been planted. I want to mention number two this morning, and we'll come back to John chapter number three a little bit later. But the second observation I make is just a fact about Nicodemus. He had spoken up for Christ, but he never identified with him. In John chapter number seven, I'll not take the time to turn there, but you can jot that reference down. In John chapter number seven, beginning with verse number 45, uh, the Pharisees were quite upset with the Lord. And they had already begun to conspire to kill him, to destroy him. And it was Nicodemus who spoke up and in his defense said, we have a protocol, more or less said, we have a protocol. There's some things that have to be done before we can condemn a man. He spoke up and said, hold on, there's some things that, that there's just procedures. So he spoke up for the Lord, but he never identified with him. We want to compare this to Joseph of Arimathea, which we saw last week. Uh, he, was a, he was a disciple, and, and the Lord calls him a disciple, but the word disciple is never used for Nicodemus, as it was for Joseph of Arimathea. Which leads me to, to believe, and I draw the conclusion this morning, that Nicodemus was even more private, was even more careful about the conversation he had with the Lord. Now, there was an affection there. Uh, as we'll see, there was a great affection there. Uh, there was, a, there was a, an acknowledgement, a belief that Jesus was the Son of God, that He did things that only God could do. I wonder, remember the first time you heard about salvation? Remember the first time you heard about what Jesus did and how your, the, the, your mind began to, to ponder that and some things in your heart you begin to process? and think. Imagine how it must have been for Nicodemus. He was a student of the law. They, there was the prophecies of the prophets of old that prophesied the Messiah would come. And now here comes one who could only be God, who could only do what God could do. And he has that conversation with him, and the Lord says, you got to be born again. Now, remember how strange that sounded to you, Christian, the first time you heard? Hey, congratulations, you've been born again. Your response was probably a little bit similar. What in the world does that mean? What, does that, what is that talking about? But you and I know today it is a spiritual birth. It is a new life in Christ. But we find not just this private conversation in John 3, but we find in John chapter number 7 that he has spoken up for Christ even though he never identified with him. Before I move to number 3 this morning, may I challenge all of us, we ought to speak up for Christ. We ought to speak up for him, but we also ought to be willing to be identified with him. There was a technicality where he could insert, and I thank, I thank God that he did. But we ought to not just speak for Christ. We ought to be willing to identify with him. And I don't have time to say all that I could say this morning about that. But the reason why the, the Bible speaks about holiness, it speaks about separation, is because it's identifying with Christ. Uh, what, what our life ought to identify with Him. And child of God, I, I want you to ponder this this morning. As you go throughout your week in, in, in the upcoming days, are you more identified with this world than you are with Christ? We ought to be willing to identify with Christ. Sometimes I, I, some Christians say, well, Pastor, if I do that, they'll know I'm a Christian. That's the point. 
Well, if, well if, I, if I don't participate in that, they might think I'm a Christian. That's the whole point. It's not for them to suspect it, for them to know. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that we ought to be a witness to Christ, but part of being that witness is identifying with him. You think of the story of Lot as he lived in that wicked city called Sodom. And how those angels came to Lot and said, God is going to destroy the city. Get your family and get out. If you recall, Lot went to his family and the scripture says that they mocked him. Because now here's a man who's saying, talking about God and talking about the judgment, but his life had never reflected anything like that. And it was a waste of what he said. Friend, you and I ought to be willing, yes, to speak up for the Lord, but are we identified with Christ? That's why, that, that's why there's several ways to be identified with Christ. Of course, in our, in our salvation, we become that new creature. We're identified in baptism. We're identified through the church. We're identified in our walk with the Lord and our testimony for Him. We ought to reflect Christ more than we do the things of this world. Uh, he spoke up for Christ, but never identified with Him. Now, this is where it gets very interesting to me. I, I hurried through the first couple of observations, uh, important observations, but I want us to notice now number three. And the third observation is this. There's an extravagant, an extravagant expression of love. Turn back to John chapter number 19, and we'll get back to John chapter 3 uh, in just a few moments. But I want you to learn, turn back at our text this morning to John chapter 19. And in verse number 39, the Bible tells us, And there came also Nicodemus, which at, the, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Now the myrrh and the aloe is what was used to anoint the body. The body would be taken and it would be anointed. It would be put these spices and these preservatives, but also a perfume. And as it was placed in the tomb, obviously, to assist with the uh, decomposition, but also uh, the smell that's, a, uh, that's associated with that. And so uh, what was typical, I want you to notice, and this was a typical practice, but I want you to notice what was not ordinary. What was not ordinary was the amount that was brought. Typically, uh, it, would have, it would have taken about 20 pounds for the average body. And here Nicodemus brings 100. Uh, I, the only thing I can think of in comparison to this, several years ago, my family went out. Which, you know, we talk about Brother Chitty being here in a couple of weeks. We went out and spent some time with him, and, and uh, our, our girls got introduced in belling of hay. I said, the girls, not me. They got introduced to belling of hay, and this came to my mind. What is it that 100 pounds, a bell of hay weighs about 75 pounds? So if you can get this picture in your mind, it wasn't a bell because they didn't have those kind of abilities back then, but if a bell of hay weighs 75 pounds, and you can imagine someone carrying a bell of hay, here comes Nicodemus, this Pharisee, carrying a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. Uh, if a bell of hay in the size of that is, is 75 pounds, think about how awkward of a picture this is as a man was carrying a hundred pounds of these spices, 
100 pounds of, of, these, of these fragrances to preserve the body of Christ. It is estimated that the cost of this would have been, today's money would be at least $100,000. Think about that for just a moment. Certainly, we can draw conclusions that, and I've already stated that while Nicodemus spake up for Christ, he never identified with him. Here's this man now, after the death of Christ, after Christ said, it is finished. Joseph of Arimathea, who was that the secret disciple of Christ, he enters into the presence of Pilate and he craves or begs for the body of Christ. Pilate grants permission and Joseph of Arimathea, as you know, and I remind you once again, he had, he had, he had protested the vote of the, the crucifixion of Christ. He, had, he was a dissenting vote and in after the crucifixion, which he could not stop, and of course was the plan of God, he got the body of Christ, and there came an unlikely ally to assist him. Here is this man, Nicodemus, who no doubt, that conversation we read of in John chapter number 3, he never got over. He, he, never, he never forgot. And no doubt his mind and his heart uh, burned with what the Savior had said, and and maybe there was a, a, a feeling of regret that he did not speak out more, that he, that he did not identify more. But regardless, here we have him after the crucifixion approaching Joseph of Arimathea with, if I can put it this way, something the size of a bell of hay, the weight of a bell of hay, a hundred pounds of those, the, the, the spices and preservatives and fragrances to, to, to anoint the body of Christ with an estimated cost, a low estimate's $100,000, and there's other estimates that go up to $200,000. Think of that extravagant price. Why would a man go to those means, spend that much money to anoint the body of the Lord? Well, what that, it tells me is I really believe that he believed Jesus was the Son of God. Was there some regret there? Possibly. There's no way to know. But to me, that's a very extravagant expression of love. Jesus has said it is finished. The body has come down. What else could Nicodemus do? What could he say to the Lord? What could he do? Well, what he could do was he could bring of his wealth. He could bring of his ability to anoint the body of Christ. If, if typically it would take about 20 pounds to properly anoint the body, he brings five times that much to anoint the body of Christ. I find that very interesting that here is a man that we can draw some conclusions about. Here is a man who we could even say perhaps rejected the message that, that Jesus gave in John chapter number uh, uh, 3, but this is a fact that he did not get over his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, you and I, we don't get over that time we met the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in, in our extravagance, in our expression, it ought, to go and, it, ought, it ought to grow and grow and not get less and less. 
The longer we're saved, the longer it's been since we met Jesus, we get a greater understanding of who he is. I have to confess to you this morning, I'm thankful that I got saved as a child. I'm thankful I got saved when I was very young. I'm thankful I got saved in a a Christian home and grew up in a Christian home. But I got to tell you, the older I get, the further I get away from my salvation, I have a greater understanding of who Jesus is. I have a greater understanding of what he did for me. I should have a greater expression, an extravagant expression of my love for him. My praise for him should not be less, it should be more. My giving to him should not be less, it should be more. My willingness to become more like him and identify with him should not be less, it should be more. And I, like Nicodemus, can testify, I haven't always done what I should have done when it comes to Christ. I shouldn't, I, there's times I should have spoken up for him that I have not, but I can testify today that anything that I, I can do for Christ, I want to do for him. I want to give every part of me. I want to give all that I can do. And friend, this morning, may we follow the example of Nicodemus and the further we get away from that first meeting with him we should never get over it we should never forget it man can you imagine being Nicodemus and that encounter with Christ it went against everything that he knew the law that he depended on the being born again I just happen to believe he had some sleepless nights about that I happen to believe that the voice of Christ that played in his mind over and over again And now the crucifixion has taken place. The body has been taken down. And certainly there was something in Nicodemus said, what could could I do? I couldn't stop the crucifixion. Maybe I should have identified more. But he did what he could do at that moment. I could bring some of my wealth. I can bring, here he comes, lugging 100 pounds to preserve the body of Christ. Friend, the further you get away from Christ, you shouldn't forget him. I think about him more. Well, if you you've been once you're saved, the countdown is on to where we're in eternity with him in heaven. We're not getting further away from the result of our salvation, we're getting closer to it. Every day that goes by, we are closer, Christian, to, to seeing our Savior face to face. We should not live giving less. We ought to live anticipating doing more. I'm, I'm going to see him. Are you saved this morning? You're going to see him. The extravagant expression of love. Friend, it's time for you to get out of your pity party and your regret and say, what can I do for Christ now? Okay, you didn't identify with him. Here you are today. Identify with him. There's been times when you bowed your head and kept your mouth shut, and perhaps you should have spoken up for him. I promised you in this world we live in, you don't have to wait very long. Another opportunity will come. Be willing to speak up for him. Be willing to identify with him. And when it comes to the greatest thing, you can give God your life. Let's not be stingy with it. Let's be extravagant. I don't know the means that that Nicodemus had. I don't know if he had more than that value of that money and that estimation. But he he could have perhaps brought everything that he had. He perhaps could have taken all of his wealth and bought that aloe and that myrrh and brought it and said, I don't have anything else to give. 
This is what I have to give and what I can do. Friend, let's follow the example in, let's be extravagant in our expression of love. Extravagant in expressing, aren't you, aren't you thankful that, that Christ died for you? Aren't you thankful that the Spirit of God came to you and put you under conviction so that you might be saved? Aren't you thankful for that day when you, when you heard the story of Christ and you, you didn't grasp it all perhaps and, and maybe it was one of those situations where you had to ponder it and think on it and, and the Spirit of God work on your heart and work on your mind, but then you never got over what Christ did. It's a big striving. And number four, I find this very interesting. And the fourth statement this morning is just this. You see the innocent blood. I want you to turn back to John chapter number I find it very interesting as we consider John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible. I find it interesting that the man who Christ is having a conversation with about this is the same man that was found near the cross. The same man who brought a hundred pounds of aloe and myrrh to preserve the body of Christ. We think of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In verse number 14, which you've already read, and it's significant because it's good for us, it reminds us of what Christ would do, but it's also significant to Nicodemus because Nicodemus was very aware of the story of Moses and the brazen serpent. And how when those people, God chastised the, 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 the Hebrew people, and he sent those fiery serpents to bite them, and Moses interceded and prayed for preservation, and God told him, if you'll take that brazen serpent, you'll put it on a, a rod and lift it up, and anybody who looks to the serpent would be healed. Obviously a picture of what Christ would do. Jesus makes reference to that in verse number 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, just as the Hebrew nation would be saved. By looking to that Hebrew serpent, man would be saved because the Son of Man, Jesus, had to be lifted up. Then in verse number 16, which we've already read, verse 17 reminds us that God said, not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here we have redemption. We have the shedding of the blood of Christ. Think with me for a moment. Joseph of Arimathea, who partnered with Nicodemus, to get the body of Christ and preserve the body of Christ. As a member of the Sanhedrin, heard the two witnesses. The scripture tells us their stories didn't match up. There was no evidence of the things they said against Christ. There was, Christ, of course, was perfect. He heard that testimony. And when the vote came down, Joseph was a descending vote. He, the scripture says he consented not to the crucifixion of Christ. When Pilate, if you recall, Joseph goes back after Christ's death into his presence. 
So he was aware of Pilate. Pilate was aware of him. When Pilate pronounced him and said, I'll give him to the mob, Joseph knew it was innocent blood. Nicodemus, who in John chapter 3, first part of the chapter we've already read, he attributed the things that Christ did as only one that things that God could do. Why would Nicodemus take his wealth? Why would Nicodemus now be identified with Christ? Because Nicodemus knew it was innocent blood. Think with me just for a moment. Do you think, as Jesus was on that cross, do you think the conversation in John chapter 3 might have come to Nicodemus' mind? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, must the Son of Man be lifted up. I wonder if it came to Nicodemus' mind what he said in, in verse 16. For God so loved the world. I remind you in previous verses, he said, what has taken place, you've had to come from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You think that conversation replayed in his mind? I believe probably it did. But you and I know that the blood that Christ shed that day was innocent blood. Why do I bring this up? In my study of Nicodemus, I found out a very interesting fact. I remind you that John chapter number 3 and verse number 16 is the most well-known verse in the Bible. People who've never darkened the door of a church have at least heard John 3.16. You watch a football game, somebody's holding up a sign that says John 3.16. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. It's significant because Jesus spoke these words. It's significant because it is the gospel in a nutshell for you and I. It's a conversation he had with this man who helped preserve the body of Christ. As I was studying the man Nicodemus, I discovered something very interesting about his name. The name Nicodemus simply means innocent blood. Here's the one who would shed innocent blood. Speaking to a man whose name simply means innocent blood. Telling him about the innocent blood that had to be shed in order for man to be saved. Nicodemus was a witness to the innocent blood being shed. Nicodemus did what he could at that point to aid in the preservation of the body of Christ. Friend, this morning as we think about this man Nicodemus, we think about the crucifixion of Christ, we think of the conversation, the private conversation that led to a public identification. You cannot ignore the perfect hand of God. And here is a man who had heard the law, knew the law, but he said there's something about this one that's different. There's something about Christ. There's something about this one named Jesus. What he's doing and what he's done has come from God. His name, meaning innocent blood, he, he approaches Christ, and Christ begins to teach him and instruct him of salvation. And before the conversation is done, Jesus gives us the Scripture that testifies of his own innocent blood that must be shed for man to be redeemed. And friend, this morning, if you're saved, let me tell you why you're saved. It's because of the innocent blood that was shed. 
It was because of the man, the, the man Christ Jesus who never committed a sin. It was only his blood that can save. He had to be lifted up because his is the only innocent blood. Friend, let's be honest this morning. I don't have innocent blood running through my veins. You don't have innocent blood running through your veins. Since, since the father of all men, Adam's sin has been passed down from generation to generation, and we all have guilty blood that runs through our veins. And we can't save anybody. The Pope can't save anybody. No religious man can save anybody. The Baptist preacher can't save anybody. It's only the innocent blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of this picture. This blesses me. It may not bless you, but I'm just okay getting blessed this morning. Jesus, who is redemption, Jesus, who is innocent, Jesus, whose innocent blood would be taken as he acted as the high priest and sprinkled himself on the mercy seat, offering forgiveness for all mankind, speaks to Nicodemus, whose name means innocent blood, and begins to instruct him, you must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and he gives the story of salvation, redemption, because of his innocent blood. Friend, this morning, let's not get so far away from our salvation that we forget what God has done for us. This morning, as we move the invitation, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, choose salvation today. Accept the price that has been paid for your sins. There's only one alternative to man paying for his own sins. And that Bible is very clear that if man chooses to pay for his own sins, he'll do so by burning forever in that horrible place called hell. But Jesus, whose innocent blood, and only his innocent blood, could satisfy the holiness and righteousness of God, was shed so that man could be saved. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, your church won't save you. Your good works won't save you. Only the shedding of the blood of Christ can save you. I trust that you'll allow someone to show you from the Bible today how you can be saved. I trust that this morning you'll put your faith in what Christ did on Calvary, not in anything else that man could do. I trust that you'll choose salvation. Friend, this morning we've all failed Christ in some way or another. We've all allowed opportunities to pass us by. Or perhaps we can say, I should have spoken up more boldly. I should have been more willing to be identified. Well, let's follow this morning the pattern of Nicodemus. And yes, maybe that is the case, but let's not squander the next opportunity to extravagantly express our love for Christ. The further we get away from that first encounter with him, the more there ought to be a love. The longer you're saved, the more you ought to love him. The longer you're saved, the more you ought to realize the value of your salvation. The longer you're saved, the more you ought to be willing to acknowledge the fact that innocent blood was shed for me so that I might be saved. This morning, if you need to trust Christ as your Savior, don't wait another day. Don't wait another Sunday. You may not get another opportunity to put your faith and trust in Christ. Child of God, this morning, how's your identification with Him? Are you willing to identify with Him? Really, the only thing that matters is do we have our salvation in Him?
Are we saved? Are we on our way to heaven? And friend, if you're saved this morning, it's because of the innocent blood that Christ had shed. There is no expression too extravagant to thank God for what He's done for us. So, Pastor, should we really give our will? Should we really give our entire life? That's the greatest thing. There's nothing greater that we can do. If we, could, if we had two lives to give to serve Him, we, ought to, we would give them both. Whatever we have, He's worthy of it. As we conclude the sermon this morning, I want to leave a picture in your mind. Here's a member of the Sanhedrin carrying the body of Christ. Probably still in the robes and the things that they would have worn during that time. Carrying the body of Christ. I picture following right behind him was a Pharisee wearing all of his regalia and the robes that they would have worn that day. He's carrying a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. What a picture that is that even the most religious Christ changes them in a way they never thought they'd be changed. Even the most unlikely can be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even those who have failed in the past can still express their love and their feelings. Oh, Joseph Arimathea is called a disciple. Nicodemus never was. I don't know. We don't have an account of whether or not Nicodemus followed through with John 3.16. But I I happen to believe this, that if he didn't believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ after that conversation, after he spoke up for him, I believe after he witnessed the crucifixion, I just happen to believe his mind recalled those words that Jesus said to him. Then as he helped prepare the body of Christ and then hearing of word that three days later, The body was no longer in the tomb. I believe there was one whose name means innocent blood, this man Nicodemus, who probably still went on fulfilling some of his responsibilities. It all came to light to him. That's everything Jesus was talking about. That's the gift from God. That's the price that was paid. That's the Son of Man that had to be lifted up And friend, there's no greater picture for you and I than the finished work of Calvary. Let's rejoice in our salvation this morning. If you need salvation, let's choose Christ today. Father, I pray that...